if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed it is. And hour number two is now underway at eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you so much for being with us. Great phone calls in hour number one. We'll get back to those as quickly as we can. But um, for now, I do want to uh, welcome our uh, next guest to the program. We don't have a ton of time together, and there's a ton of information to discuss with him. By the way, it's the 26th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord 2020. I know a lot of people count on that, so I want to make sure I deliver it. Patrick Wood is my guest. Patrick is the executive director of Citizens for Free Speech. He also is a best-selling author of uh, of a couple of books that are per- per- that are very pertinent as far as what we're talking about today: Technocracy, the Hard Road to World Order, and Technocracy of Global Transformation. Patrick Wood, good to have you back on our program. Here, how are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Doing great, thank you. All right, Patrick. Um, we're, I, I want to talk about COVID-19 and what is being done by our government, by some of the global elite, quite frankly, and by some of the technocrats, and that's right in your wheelhouse, uh, in the name of responding to uh, COVID-19. And I want to talk about everything from masks to contact tracing, especially after something else that I learned about this morning with respect to uh, quantum dot tattoos, and I'm sure you're familiar with that. But, Pat, you wrote an Article 4, um, Citizen for Free Speech, which people can read at citizensforfreespeech.org, about the face masks. We know that the big uh, concern right now, at least in the media, is that the number of cases of COVID-19 are apparently on the rise in a lot of states. And in response to that, they are starting to uh, you know, stiffen up some of the restrictions that have been in place already. California, North Carolina, among the states that have said we are mandating face masks for all persons in public, indoors or out. Uh, North Carolina starts today at 5 o'clock. And you wrote for uh, citizensforfreespeech.org uh, uh, an article headlined, The Miserable Pseudoscience Behind Face Masks, Social Distancing, and Contact Tracing. So, Pat, what is your response to these governors and some other uh, executives of municipalities uh, in this new wave of mask regulations? Well, it's politics as usual, Bob. I, I think many people understand this. Many people don't. Unfortunately, the dominant... Uh, emotion right now that's running through the entire nation is fear. Those who really get caught up by fear uh, don't 
receive any other explanation for what's going on other than what they hear from mainstream media or from their governor or from their local mayor or whatever. And there's no science, honestly, there's no science uh, that is being presented behind the um, arbitrary requirement for wearing masks and for social distancing and for contact tracing. Uh, in fact, the science, the real science, points in the other direction. But trying to get that into the conversation today is virtually impossible because of the fear that's running through America. And the fact that fear is running through America is a product of the fear mongers, like the people who used to create fear in climate change, like, you know, the seas are going to rise and the Ice is going to melt in the Arctic, and we're all going to die. This is the same kind of fear-mongering that we have going on right now, and the political process has attached itself to that. So there's no, there's just no rational thinking going on anymore, either in the halls of political power or even you know in the minds of uh, the general public. You know, Patrick, what's interesting is you're right about the politics of it, and it seems to be kind of crystallizing itself as right versus left. The people on the right say, no masks. You can't uh, violate my First Amendment rights, uh, especially when it comes to making my own decisions about my health. Uh, that is not something anybody else can do. And people on the left are saying, wear a mask. You have to. It's the responsible thing to do for other people. So there is a political part of this. But but those who say wear the masks say, listen to the doctors. Listen to the science. Well, I don't know of any uh, medical publication that is more prestigious, maybe as prestigious, but not more prestigious than the New England Medical Journal. And um, Patrick, just two months ago in May, they wrote extensively about this and declared that, quote, expanded masking protocols' greatest contribution may be to reduce the transmission of anxiety over and above whatever role they may play in reducing transmission of COVID-19. It is a it is fear like you said it's fear-mongering and the mask alleviates fear and it and to me Patrick that is just an example of essentially social control that many in big government circles look to to perpetuate. Well, in that sense as this is the holy grail of those who seek that that is social control and social engineering. This is probably the greatest social engineering project uh, or, or event that's happened in the last hundred years. Uh, it's huge, and it's changing the entire nature of our country. And some people are saying that uh, analysts, you know, experts are saying that uh, that the public, uh, half the public, may not come out uh, even to participate in things like restaurants and you know outdoor activities that they used to participate in, and may take years before the fear level has gone down enough where people will come out. Other people are scared to death to go to hospitals that really should be going to hospitals for testing and for procedures and stuff that they really need, mm-hmm. and they're scared to go to the hospitals and they just stay at home and dying at home is dead. It has nothing to do with COVID at all. No, it doesn't, and, and and you're right. I mean, this this creation of, you know, it's funny, I, I we talk about social distancing, which is the next thing I want to talk about with you uh, in addition to the masks, Patrick. 
I, I really hate that phrasing because what literally they are doing is, is, is antisocial. It's antisocial distancing. You cannot come up to a friend you haven't seen in a while and give them a hearty handshake, a bro hug, or God forbid, a two-armed real hug. Uh, you can't stand close to somebody else who's a stranger or you, you might get punched because how dare you invade my six feet of germ-free space. Uh, both of my children work for a, um, a drugstore. Uh, yesterday, they came home from work last night, both of them at 10 o'clock. Hey, how did work go? You should have seen this guy, they said. And I said, what guy? And they said he didn't just have on a mask. He had on goggles and what looked like a big overcoat. And he had it like pulled tight. And somebody was walking in as he was on his way out after checking out this individual. And he was a good 10, 15 feet away. And once he saw that somebody was coming in in his direction, he took like almost a... Uh, like a linebacker stance, got real low at his feet apart and quickly backed off and gave this person a good 20 to 30 feet berth of space before he would exit the store. That's panic, Patrick. That's the anxiety that they are counting on building. Now, it might be an extreme example, but it's panic that is being built, again, in an effort to control the behavior of the people. And antisocial behavior is not what, the, is not what humanity is, is, is about. That's right. That's right. We see this panic everywhere. I just talked to a, a lady, I believe she was about 72 years old, uh, here in the Phoenix area, and um, she uh, confided in me that uh, she's, she and her husband, her husband has some kind of health issues, uh, didn't say what, but uh, she confided that she's scared to death to go out anymore. And now that we have a, a, a mandatory face mask requirement in Arizona, in, in this particular area, uh, she says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't, I'm just beside myself. I'm, I'm, and, and you could, I could hear the panic in her voice. She's trying to be calm. And she otherwise was really a nice lady, but she was just panicked. She says, I can't wear a face mask. I'm, you know, I've got other issues that prevent me from doing that. And I'm landlocked here in my house. I'm, I'm, I'm literally a prisoner in my house. Well, that, that's the way she felt anyway. Right. Right. And, and you know, Patrick, that's, that is so bad for people. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to be pretend I'm some you know um, uh, higher education trained sociologist or or psychologist, but people need contact with other people. People need not be afraid of everyone that they see. Human contact is important to the overall general emotional and physical health of people, and they're being trained right now in antisocial behavior. They can't have that contact, and it's not good for people's health. Let me before we I'm going to come back to masks, but but let me move to contact tracing now. You wrote in your article, which. Again, people can read at citizensforfreespeech.org, as well as talktechnocracy.news. I know you put it on both sites. You wrote, um, almost every state in America is implementing a wide-ranging contact tracing program that may ultimately employ some 300,000 tracers. But you said, um, what's the purpose of this? In the case of COVID-19, the horse has already left the barn, except to harass people. There's nothing useful that contact tracing can accomplish. Um Explain that, especially in response to those like governors here in Ohio. Governor DeWine has promised to hire thousands of contact tracers to literally follow through the steps you have taken in your life until you tested positive or exhibited symptoms of contact tracing. Contact tracing is a a technique that's as old as the hills. It's a legitimate technique as well to track down uh, infectious diseases, Uh, but uh, only typically only in the initial stages of the disease in the first place, like Ebola, for instance, it travels slowly, but, uh, and it's very infectious. 
So, you know, when you can find out who's contacted who and stuff in the early stages, you have an opportunity to really put the, put the lid on it. But contact tracing is always used to quarantine the sick, not to quarantine the healthy. They've turned this around. They've turned it into a political weapon to be used against the entire population indiscriminately uh, to set up a system to quarantine the healthy, that is, those who may have come in contact with somebody that uh, had uh, COVID. And instead of just, you know, taking the person that has COVID and isolating them, they just, just say, well, we're, you now have to go and isolate yourself. This is going to just result in, a, in another, another version of an economic shutdown because people will be tagged indiscriminately in the process. Right. To be isolated. You, you, you can be perfectly be healthy. To be healthy and they'll be sitting at home wondering, dang, I can't <laughs> go out again for another two weeks. There goes my job. You know, there goes everything that I had in, you know, planned to do. And you, you multiply that across uh, any, any segment of society, and you got yourself an effective shutdown again, except now it's in the hands of the, you know, governors and mayors directly themselves. Bingo. And, and, and that's the most insane part about this. You, you know, with contact tracing, everyone is treated like typhoid Mary. If you were near somebody, and you know, you quoted the CDC, uh, language on this in your article, and people need to read this for themselves, but, but if you were within contact, somebody within six feet of somebody for 15 minutes, starting from two days before illness onset or two days after, blah, 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 you know, they're, they're going to say you, even though you might be perfectly healthy and totally asymptomatic, haven't sneezed in weeks, uh, or, or anything even close, yeah. and, and and you are going to have to isolate yourself for two weeks in order to stop you from spreading something that you don't even have. And that's the part about this. Patrick, I want to wrap it up by going back to face masks because you and I have talked about this. I have been promoting the, the, the uh, cards, the, uh, the blue cards on blue lanyards that you have available at citizensforfreespeech.org. Uh, I've been telling everybody wear the card, not the mask. Uh, go ahead and give, uh, give us a brief uh, summary of what that card <laughs> is and how people can well, get it. That's exactly right. There, there's a broad... Uh, there are broad segments in society that absolutely have no business wearing a mask, and it's only common sense. It's not rocket science at all. Uh, people that have breathing difficulties already, like COPD or other, you know, other lung weaknesses, should not be wearing. It should not be restricting their airways. Pregnant women, people who have cancer, um, you know, other people who already maybe they're morbidly obese and they get winded really easily. These people have no business wearing a mask because it's definitely har- it's proven harmful to their health. So now the government and, uh, of course, the people are following suit. All of a sudden, everybody's an expert on practicing medicine to say, well, you know, you just, you know, for the sake of being uh, unselfish, regardless of what harm could come to you, you should wear a mask and protect everybody else. That's just absolutely ludicrous. So the people that need to not wear a face mask definitely should have the option to not wear a face mask, and that's what we put this card out for. You know, all and there's other people, just straight-up patriots, who say, I'm not wearing a mask, and they're, they should be considered, too, because that's a constitutional right. Exactly. But, uh, a constitutional those- right to freedom of expression, uh, freedom of speech, uh, and, and this okay. is being limited by these mandatory mask mandates. I, uh, or That's redundant, but these mandatory mask orders. Uh, Pat, how do people get one of these cards so and show them to people who give them a hard time in mask-only zones so that they don't have to wear them? 
Anybody who comes and joins Citizens for Free Speech doesn't cost anything. Come and join, and we'll send you a complimentary card, a free card with a lanyard, just one, but we'll send it to you free. And this offer, uh, you know, we have a donor that provided these cards uh, for us to do this. Uh, we can only do this until the 30th of the month. That's just four days away. So if you want a free card, uh, just go and join. We'll still have cards available after that for a small donation. But uh, And you're welcome to do that, of course, too. We'd like you to donate and help us out. But, uh, yeah, go do it. Just citizensforfreespeech.org. It's easy as pot. That's it. Yeah, and I've been telling people about this, and I'm glad to hear you as well. Citizensforfreespeech.org. Patrick Wood is the executive director of CFFS. Patrick, thank you for the great information. We'll talk again. My pleasure. Thanks. All right, 1023. We'll get out and come back on AM 1420. Okay, it's 1027. Let's squeeze in a couple of phone calls here before the bottom of the hour. And again, after the bottom of the hour, we're going to get back to a place where I think we need to be right now. And that's a place of faith. Uh, sometimes <laughs> sometimes we have to admit we are powerless. Uh, and that's not a 12-step start. That's just a reality. We are powerless. Sometimes we do have to just put our faith in God. And right now we are in some of those times, I think. And we'll talk more about that after the bottom of the hour news. For now, John in uh, Chardon is on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, John. Go ahead. Hey, morning, Bob. There's a chokehold involving the carotid artery that temporarily disables, but it doesn't injure any pe- anybody. Yeah, and that's called, you that's know, called the country. lateral. Yeah, that that's called the lateral vascular neck restraint, and it is a technique in policing that is supposed to be used where you're not choking them and cutting off their air, but what you are doing is limiting the blood flow to their brain through that carotid artery. The vascular neck restraint is supposed to make them dizzy and and basically incapacitated to the point where you can then get them under control. You're not supposed to choke off their air so they can't breathe. That's a different thing altogether. Right. So it temporarily disables them. Right, but I mean, we need to bring that back. You know. Yeah. Well, I don't know uh, you know, they, they, see, here's the thing, uh, you, John. I agree with you. I do. Like I said before, especially if you are in a battle, I don't think any holds should be, uh, you know, disallowed. If you're in a battle for your life, if you're an officer trying to take a combative suspect under arrest and they fight you, and you are your life is in danger, your weapon is at risk. If he beats you and gets on top of you, I don't think any hold should be disallowed. I think if you've got to grab them by the crotch and squeeze whatever it takes to get them under control, you have to do. But if you do it in, and thanks for the call, John. But if you do it and use a chokehold or a, or a lateral Vascular, vascular neck restraint or anything else, if you do that as your first go-to maneuver to arrest somebody, now we've got a different story here. Now we've got a problem. Uh, you try to do it a different way, but if you are in a fight for your life and for, the, and for the security of your weapon, which is deadly, then I think you ought to be able to use whatever hold you have to. That's just my opinion. Bob in Middleburg Heights. Uh, hi, Bob. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. Uh, could we agree that George Soros was behind some of this anarchy and destruction going on? thousand percent yes sir okay now i'm going to present something to you okay the former i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure on the details of this but wasn't the former leader of the kkk convicted of murder yet he had no physical participation in the act i would have to look that up which leader i is believe that, this i believe this to be true it's almost a form of racketeering now what mr soros is engaged in is the same thing. The government has the power to go after this man, but they're not. 
And I want to know why. And I would like you to ask Jim Jordan that. And he can give you all the excuses in the world like he usually does. But there's a reason behind why they're not going after this man. And I want the truth. Well, uh, Bob, thank you for the phone call. Um, it's a great point that you make. Um, I'm not familiar specifically with the KKK story, but I can tell you this. There is precedent for what you're saying. The Charles Manson murders. Charles Manson was convicted of seven counts of murder, and he did not personally kill. In fact, wasn't even in the homes at the time of the deaths of the Tate LaBianca victims in 1969. He was convicted, though, of murder, not just conspiracy, but of murder, because he, as they was explained in court and proven before the jury, that uh, he was the person who ordered it all. So he was responsible for the murders, therefore he was convicted of murder. So your point is well taken. Yes, George Soros is personally responsible for a lot of the anarchy going on in the United States. Uh, but drawing that, you know, drawing that uh, picture and explaining that to the point where a prosecutor would charge him is very difficult indeed. Thank you for that call. Let's get news now. And on the flip side, we turn to faith. In a manner of speaking, we're going to talk to Ron Archer, who's an author and a uh, person of faith who's got maybe a a recipe for us on how to deal with everything we are dealing with in this country today. That coming up on AM 1420. Okay, 1036, thanks again for being with us on this Friday. I started the show today talking about the threats that our country faces and talking about how, you know, much of what needs to be done is going to be done by man. Um, And it's going to take a lot of courage and it's going to take a lot of effort to do what we need to do to repair the, the rift, the divide in this country and to try to defend her heritage and defend her freedom. Because no matter what warts we may have in this country, we are the greatest beacon of hope and the greatest source of liberty and good in the history of human civilization. And it's going to take a lot of man-made work to get that done. But sometimes, you know, we need to also recognize it's out of our hands. Sometimes we do need to give it over to God. And that's why I thought it would be good to talk to Ron Archer. Ron Archer is an author and a world-renowned speaker who understands the tensions we're dealing with right now, uh, maybe better than most. His mother grew up in a mixed-race household, uh, which greatly impacted her two children. And uh, even in facing adversity, being raised here in Cleveland, in a ghetto of Cleveland, on food stamps, Ron knew that his response to uh, life's challenges mattered. And uh, that's why he wrote, What Belief Can Do, How God Turned My Pain Into Power and Tragedy, uh, in my pain into power and tragedy into triumph, rather, and how he can do the same for you. Ron Archer joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Ron, how are you? Well, thank you, Bob. I'm honored to be on your show. Being a fellow Clevelander and being from the Northeast Ohio area, uh, it's an honor, truly is, to talk to your audience and be a part of the show. Well, I think we need a little bit about what you have plenty of, Ron, uh, and that is faith. We need um, uh, some, maybe perhaps a deeper understanding of how we can turn to God in times when man seems to be failing in getting things right. Um, and before we talk about that, I gave just a very brief description of your background, uh, particularly, again, as it pertains to your mixed-race household. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you started? Yeah, certainly. Uh, my grandmother uh, was German, and she was tall and skinny. My grandfather was a black Cuban, so we called him hamburger and french fry. 
They met in Cleveland, <laughs> Ohio, and um, created a Happy Meal and had seven McNuggets. And Grandma worked at a Woolworth store, and Grandpa had his own little business, and all went pretty well. The American dream was happening for these two immigrants, and and then there was a tragedy in their lives. And a man called my grandmother a racial slur for being married to my black grandfather. He reacted poorly. My grandfather did and uh, broke the man's neck with one punch, went to prison, and they lost everything after that. Everything went downhill. They became homeless, and they were, you know, atheists, basically. My uncles joined the gang called the Devil's Disciples. Man, it was just terrible. And my mom had me when she was 16, and it was rough. And But you know what? I got introduced to Jesus Christ through a Gideon Bible, one of my teachers who's my speech pathologist, and my life turned around completely, graduated first in my class, student body president at Baldwin Wallace College, made my first million dollars in business when I was 28, and my whole family got saved. We're involved in ministry globally in Africa, where I lived for a while, in Europe, where I lived for a while, and now we have a leadership restoration center here in Northeast Ohio, in Shaker Heights. I live in Fort Myers, but we believe one thing. Everything you've gone through in your life is a down payment on your destiny. God turns pain into power and tragedy into triumph, and we have to get what I believe in so much, Bob, We've got to get the Joseph mentality. Do I love the story of Joseph? Everything I've been through in my life, I identify with Joseph, right? He had a dream, and his brothers hated his dream. They wanted to kill him. They sold him into slavery. Then he becomes a prisoner, but he never forgot who he was in God. He never lost his perspective, his attitude, and he got promoted, become second in command of all of Egypt. And his brothers came to buy food. He said to his brothers, don't be mad at yourselves and don't be afraid. Why? Because you did not put me here. God did to save many lives. What was meant for evil, Bob? God used it for good. You know what? I don't know why God chose slavery as the method to bring me to America, but I know it was his sovereign plan, and I lived in Africa. You know what? I lived in Europe. There's no place. Let me repeat this. I've lived in Europe and Africa and Asia. There is no place on planet Earth like these United States of America, anything you want to be, anything you want to achieve with faith, fortitude, and hard work, there are people out here who will help you. Your attitude determines your altitude. You must be a victor and not a victim. You must be a climber and not a quitter. You must make up in your mind that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Good morning. Good morning, indeed. <laughs> that was powerful. Ron Archer is my guest. Again, he's an author and a speaker, if you couldn't tell. And his book, uh, which he just referenced the title of in some of that commentary, is What Belief Can Do, How God Turned My Pain into Power and Tragedy into Triumph, and How He Can Do the Same for You. You said something uh, in the beginning of, uh, of that, uh, and I was trying to remember it as you kept going and giving me new things to remember, uh, but it was something along, to the effect of whatever personal struggles you have now are a down payment on your destiny, uh, and you have to oh, absolutely. Yes, T- I believe tell, that. Tell me, tell me whether or not, hold on, tell me Tell me whether or not that can apply only in the micro level, in other words, uh, for an individual, and whether or not that can happen to a nation. Because right now we're going through some extraordinary struggles as a country. A lot of yes. them, based on what you said, you know, got your father uh, into the, the terrible place that he ended up because of his yes. reaction to a racist incident. Um, yes. So can a nation's current struggles be a down payment on their destiny? Oh, absolutely. We first have to recognize throughout the Bible Every miracle 
began as an impossible problem. That's why God shows up the most. When Lazarus was dead, he waited four days to make sure he was dead, 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 and no excuses. The person with the issue of blood, nobody could help her. No doctor could save her. Only Jesus could. By faith you are healed. The blind man who couldn't see. So yes, a nation itself that is in peril, that is in difficulty. That is so true. Remember when Solomon built the temple and he asked God to bless it? And God said something very funny. He said, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, if I send locusts to devour the land, if I send pestilence among my people. So you're asking God to bless your temple, and he gives you a kind of a progressive incremental judgment report saying, if these things start to happen, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to get you to focus on me. He says, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn, then I will heal their land and hear their prayer. You know, the 23rd Psalm is amazing. People miss one thing about it. It is God imposing his divine will on his own people. David writes it so poetically with his pedantic nomenclature and academic jargon. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That sounds good. He makes me to lie down. Stop, pause, even my popcorn. That is somebody imposing their will on another person. When God says, I will make you lie down. I will break your back if I have to. I will, I will cripple your legs if I have to. If I want to save you, get your attention, I need you to be still. And I believe right now God is asking America, who are you? You are my chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. I gave you so much. God bless America. It's time for America to bless God. And God knows how to get our attention and bring us to a place where we have to, what Jesus said, abide in him. We can get carried away, Bob, and think it's all about us and our talent and our ability. But there comes a time when every nation must bow before God, get on its face before God and say, I'm sorry. I kind of lost my way. I got caught up in my own greatness. I kind of forgot about you. We took prayers out of school. We are leading abortion. 53 million kids have died since 1973. We approved same-sex marriage. We have to be able to come before a holy God as a nation and repent and say, I'm sorry. And God is faithful to restore us to the place we need to be. He's trying to get our attention, Bob. Ron, we are talking with uh, Ron Archer, an author and a speaker and a preacher. You began preaching. Uh, you were, what, 16, when, it, which, which is the time you started uh, sharing the word uh, in a Cleveland church. Um, yes. You're still doing yes. it. And, and, and I want to ask you what message you have for the segment of our community. And it's not just the black segment. There is a racial element to all this, obviously, sure. with the terrible, indefensible death of George Floyd. But it is not just Black Lives Matter, folks. There are nope. a combination nope. of anarchists, white anarchists working on behalf Marxist. of Antifa, Marxists, revolutionary communists that are all responsible for what's going on. They're doing what they're doing in this country every night and setting fires, vandalizing, assaulting, and committing atrocities. They say in a battle for equality. But what it looks like more and more every night is this is these are acts not of of justice and justified equality. These are acts of vengeance for past misdeeds. Is that what you see and what is your message as a preacher to them? My message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not die for black lives. He died for all lives. All lives are precious. All lives 
are important to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So one, there's no segregated community that has more of God's attention than all of us. He died for every creed, color, disposition, background, ethnocentric, ideological disposition he died for. That's one. Number two, we got to remember something. God and Satan both major in mathematics. They both have Ph.D. in math. And Satan's mathematical Ph.D. is division. Wherever you see division, Cain versus Abel, Saul hating David, Satan dividing one-third of the angels from God himself in heaven, whenever you see a group that's all about anarchy and division and polarization, that is the spirit of Antichrist. That is not of God. Black Lives Matter does not represent me or my uh, disposition, because I see division, I see chaos, I see anarchy, I see hate, and that spirit is not of God. God majors in Ph.D., and his Ph.D. in mathematics is unity and oneness. It's about three things. when, when, When I see a move, I look at three things that tells me, is this of God? Number one, does it give him glory? Does it give man glory? Number two, does it unify his body, or does it try to divide the people? And number three, does it edify? Does it build up the community, not just one particular group? So if it does not glorify, it does not unify, and it does not edify, I say bye-bye. Wow, powerful indeed. And uh, uh, listen, Ron, I, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your message. It's inspirational. I said at the top of the show when I mistakenly thought you were coming on in the first hour instead of the second, I said we need faith maybe m- now more than ever. It's going to take... It's going to take the hands of man to do a lot of the work that needs to be done to repair yeah. this country and to restore this country into the wonderful, um, uh, you know, glorious nation of freedom that we are. But uh, I don't think those hands of man are going to get it done unless they really are willing to to be guided by the, the, the wisdom and the words of God. However you receive them, that is exactly what we need, and that's why your message is so important right now. We must speak truth with love, mercy, and grace. We must be able to model the gospel of Jesus Christ and love those who are despitefully using us. And we must hold people's feet to the fire. They're trying to divide us from each other and divide us from God and divide us from our faith. We are better than that. Listen, we have come over on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. We either learn to work together as friends or perish as fools, for a high tide will raise all of our ship. We have to come together through prayer and fasting and communication. And we, the body of Christ, we must be the light in the darkness. We must be the hope in hopelessness. How we get along, how we dialogue, how we problem solve. We are the best hope to help people see that God is on the throne and prayer changes things. Ron Archer, uh, I highly suggest you read his book, What Belief Can Do, How God Turned My Pain into Power and Tragedy into Triumph, and how he can do the same for you. In addition to reading you, how can other people hear you, Ron? Are you preaching on a regular basis anywhere? Is there a website where we can see sermons? Uh, What do you have? Yeah, uh, they can go to our website, ronarcher.org. And there they'll find a plethora and cornucopia of messages. And our ministry website is theplacesofhope.com. And we have a, and we have a daily motivational message on that as well. And you'll see me on CBN. You'll see me on Daystar. 
and on radio. Um, we're doing a lot of work around the globe. A new book coming out called One Man, How God Uses One Man at a Time to Change the World. So I'm, I mean, I'm so excited because I, I love Cleveland. I love the Browns. I love the Indians. I love the Cavs. I love Northeast Ohio pierogies. I love my hometown, Cleveland, the greatest nation of people on earth who understand resiliency and strength to overcome adversity. Well, I can tell you, I love your message, and I love your belief in racial harmony and unity, and uh, God bless you. Thank you so much for what you do, Ron Archer. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. Uh, Ron Archer on AM 1420, The Answer, going to take us into our final timeout, and on the flip side, your phone calls to wrap it, and to wrap up a very busy and what I think important week on AM 1420, The Answer. Well, I hope um, that my conversation with, and really less of a conversation than just an introduction, and I let him go. (laughs) But I hope that the words of Ron Archer had the desired effect. As I said at the top of the show, we do need to sometimes say, we'll do what we can. We will put in the work. It will take courage and it will take effort. But we know that we can't do it alone. Sometimes we got to step back and say, let God get this. Uh, Have faith that he will. What's really funny is, and this is how I know that, at least to some, it had the desired effect, um, is there was a phone call that came in during Ron Archer's commentary uh, asking me to read Second Chronicles 7, uh, uh, and, and there's a couple of verses that literally, as it was being typed on my screen from the caller, Ron Archer almost channeled it and actually uh, articulated those verses. Uh, Verse 13, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Verse 14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will uh, hear from heaven. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's It was just so amazing to me. As this was being typed on my call screen, um, and a caller was articulating it to Marcy, who was answering the phones, Ron Archer launched into it on his own. He couldn't see that. So there's something going on there that I found to be really quite amazing. Uh, let's get a couple of more phone calls here from uh, before the uh, uh, end of the program here. Lisa, my friend from Medina County, friends and neighbors, I bet there's a meeting tomorrow. Hi, Lisa, how are you? <laughs> Good morning. I'm well. Thanks, Bob. And God's got this. God's got this. It just it just matters where we are and what we do. And we do have a meeting tomorrow. Um, Dakota Sawyer, a young conservative, uh, will be sharing a presentation on education. Dakota is going to break down what's happening inside the public school system and will detail with the corruption and indoctrination our children are being exposed to. I, I hope some great folks can come out and, and join us tomorrow. That is a very, very dynamic young man, Dakota. I've met him a couple <laughs> yes, of times is. at a couple of events. <laughs> He's corresponded with me through through digital means a couple of times. He is a really, really shining star, uh, and I love listening to him. Or I love talking to him in the few times that I have, so I think that's a great, great thing to How old is he now? 16. 16. I was going to say 15. Okay, so he's 16 now, and he is a young conservative who doesn't just, you know, talk the talk. He gets out there, he organizes events, and as you just heard, he's going to speak tomorrow to talk to a population of people 
three, four times his age in some cases. Yeah. And, uh, and he's, he's got it all together. That's a great thing you're doing tomorrow, and I'm glad Dakota's oh, going to be Oh, thank there. you. That's at the Copper Top. Yeah, give it specifically where Valley View. Tell us the uh, specific yeah. No, location. it's Valley City. Valley it's City. From sorry, sorry, sorry. I always do that. I always do the. I always do the wrong Valley. I'm, I'm, I know it's Valley it's City, a, and I know it's right near Brunswick. I just always say the wrong. Yeah. Thing. Go ahead. It's easy to get to. It's on three hundred three. It's at the Copper Top Golf Club, and that's from eight thirty a.m. to ten a.m. And that is on uh, fifty seven forty Center Road, Valley City. Get there around eight thirty. Our call to order is at eight forty five. And I hope uh, you know everyone can can come, and we'll have some other uh, educational experts on hand to answer questions. It's so important that not only is he done Please. the, the, the topic, <laughs> the topic itself is extraordinarily important. As a board member, you know this. As an Ohio ed- board yeah. of education member, you know how extraordinarily important this is. The curriculum is, yes, it is. is and the presentation thereof is uh, is it, it's a crucial thing. Uh, Lisa, It'll thanks help so much people for know how to help. Amen to oh, that. You're welcome. And that's what it's they my do. Thank you, Alisa. That's a great thing she just said as we wrap this up. Teaching people how to help. Uh, and that's it. Helping people learn how to help the problem. I said at the beginning it's going to take a lot of our efforts here. And it's not just elected officials. And it's not just, you know, people in the pulpit. Uh, it's going to be, you know, everyday ordinary Americans. How can you help, particularly when it comes to changing uh, the messaging that so many of our children are receiving as they get indoctrinated into interviews that are just not productive for the United States of America. That's where we leave it. Thanks to the crew. Thanks to Derek. Thanks to Marcy. Thanks to our guests. And thanks to you for listening. Enjoy Have a safe weekend. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye.